Welcome to the Pockets of Knowledge podcast, where we share illuminating stories and knowledge to inform, educate, inspire and empower you in the areas of business, health, finance, philanthropy, art, and entrepreneurship, designed to help you achieve your goals. And now here is your host, Desiree Stanley. Welcome everyone to the Pockets of Knowledge podcast. I'm your host, Desiree Stanley, and with me today is my guest, Julie Rea. Welcome to the show, Julie. Thank you so much for being on with us today. I'm super excited. Thank you for having me, Desiree. Julie is a dear friend and also one of my daughter's um, friend. Her, The two of them have been in school together for a number of years, and uh, that is how Julie and I met. And uh, it's just been such um, a wonderful connection. She's just been such a pleasure to know. And so I'm so excited you're on the show today to talk with us about mental health and uh, share with us some things that really are fundamental. You know, we've had such a stigma for such a long time about mental health. And so we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, why we need to normalize it, right? And I think if we want to jump in, let's start with that. Why is it so important? Why do we need to normalize healthcare and uh, mental health care specifically? You know, I think it's a great question. And let me just start out by thanking you for inviting me. I do feel like we have been friends for a long time and our daughters have been connected. And And the first time I met you, I I saw you and, and I thought, I want to be friends with her. I want to get oh. to know her. You're so dynamic. You're such a pioneer advocating for women and women's issues and highlighting women in business and, and all around. So thank you for that. Thank you. So normalizing mental health, I think is so imperative because we all at some time are going to have a mental health experience, some kind of struggle internally, whether it be anxiety or depression, postpartum depression and anxiety, changes in life, you know, life journeys. Everyone goes through something. Working with clients in my own private practice, I can say for sure that when you normalize it and you feel that you're not the only one, it opens up your world. It allows you to go, okay, other people have the same, these same feelings. I'm not alone. And it's so important that we as a society see mental health as another, another health issue. And, and I, I don't even like using the word issue, another component of healthy living that we have the right to want to live our, our best lives and be best we can be. And I think by honoring the fact that there are so many people that have mental health, again, issues or, you know, dilemmas in their life on their, the spectrum of their life. Life, it's so important that we all acknowledge it and appreciate it, learn from it, grow from it, hold gratitude for it. I get excited, but yeah. Absolutely. You're right. It, um, it's so, uh, in, it like draws us in when we know that there's others who are experiencing these same things with us, right? So we don't feel alone and, you know, we feel like, okay, others have had this issue. I'm not alone. I can, you know, find the help that I need and um, be supported. And so that is so, so important. So yeah, absolutely. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your journey to become a licensed marriage um, and family counselor. It wasn't how you started exactly. Um, no. So tell us about it. But you know, I was thinking about this, but there's been nothing about my life that has been linear. Nothing. 
as I'm reflecting on it and look back on it, my intention, you know, I got my bachelor's degree in art history and my intention was to do something around that. I loved, I loved going to Europe and and going to the museums and I loved going to New York and Chicago and even Bay Area. I mean, I, I, I loved studying art, studying artists. And so that was my passion. But then I realized very quickly that there wasn't a lot of work. I wasn't going to, I didn't believe at the time that I'd make a good living doing it. And it, mm-hmm. of course it was my passion and I still go to museums now. My husband and daughter placate me on my birthday once a year and we'll go to the De Young or the Legion of Honor in San Francisco. So I figured, you know, I need to figure this out. So the plan was to do, I, I saw an art therapy program, a master's mm-hmm. program at the College of Notre Dame up in Belmont. And I thought, you know, that sounds perfect. I can use the art and I can I felt like I've always been an empath. I've I've always had a lot of, I don't want to say heaviness, but I've always felt for other people. Mm-hmm. And it's been from a very young age. So I thought, okay, I'll do that. But when I applied at Belmont, they're like, yes, we want you, we'll take you, but you don't have a portfolio big enough. So mm-hmm. why not go marriage and family th- therapist route? And I'm like, sounds great. And I did. And it was great. And it's been wonderful. I've had a wonderful career and I've enjoyed every minute of it. I I started out working with youth in the criminal justice system, and I worked with adults in the criminal justice system, never thinking I would do that. You know, my my life has just taken all of these amazing turns, and I'm just so grateful. I have so much gratitude. And, you know, you actually brought something up that I wanted to talk about, and that's working with teens, what right now, I mean, they've had some real struggles, right? I mean, with, with COVID and being at home these last few years, that's added a whole nother level of challenges that these kids have had to face. And if you want to talk with us a little bit about how we can maybe be there for our kids and, and what they're trying to tell us. You know, I, I really appreciate you saying what they're trying to tell us, because if we listen and if we have patience, And if we don't take things too personally, our teenagers are going to share a lot with us. And they have been through something. And I say this about everyone to some degree, but what I'm seeing in my private practice, I also do some subbing for the local high school. What I see are, are kids that have never quite had any experience like this and are already dealing with the stressors of being teenagers, which are so profound. I wouldn't go back for anything. It was probably the hardest time of my life. And we know from so many studies and biology, physiological part, the frontal cortex of our brain is the last to develop. Mm-hmm. It doesn't develop until well in now. They, they used to think it was between maybe at 25. Now they're saying maybe into your third decade of life. So wow. we know that the teenage brain is still developing. So they're impulsive and they're and they're kind of scattered and and they their their reasoning is compromised sometimes all of these things that we as parents go what is wrong with my kid and the reality is this is affecting them this fact that their their brain is still developing and i think what's happened with covid is it's just exacerbated that time in their lives hmm. it's gotten more confusing it's gotten more 
it's gotten scarier. It's gotten um, like, what does this mean for me and my life and my future? Is there a future? If we take the time to talk to our kids and we have that, we have that relationship with them, I think that we can learn a lot from what they're experiencing. I think it's imperative that there's more mental health on school campuses. And I know that in our community, they're working around that with wellness rooms and things like that. And it's so important because they are really struggling. The depression, the anxiety is higher than it's ever been. Suicide attempts, suicide ideation, higher than it's ever been in the teenage population. And you know, something else too, is that that they experienced during COVID was the isolation, right? Because of being at home, even though you're on camera, you know, with your other um, fellow students and the teacher and whatever, it's not the same as being in person present with those kids and the teacher, right? So there's that isolation that also was happening on top of everything else, right? Such a good point. And I'm glad you bring it up because it's so true. And we know for teenagers, yeah, there are outliers. There are people that, you know, are on the fringes of the social networking in high school. But for the most part, you know, teenagers are social animals and they do want to be engaged with their peers. And I do think for some kids, the isolation and being alone suited them fine. But I do think for the vast majority of teenagers, the isolation was confusing and scary and um, unfamiliar in a lot of ways. And so what do you think would be a good way uh, maybe that parents could help them kind of, you know, through that as as we're coming back out of it, you know, is there, what can they talk to them about, or is there anything they can Mm -hmm. suggest? And, and we are lucky in our community that we've got what those wellness centers, like you mentioned, where they're, they're popping up in the schools to try to help the kids. But, you know, is there things that parents could do, or how could they maybe um, work with their school districts locally to see about implementing some of these things? Yeah, I think that, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I, and I do think that, you know, the school districts were pretty proactive. I know in this community, Santa Clara County as well. And I think it's also, it's something for parents to think about on their end as to how they're feeling about this. Sometimes these conversations are scary and they're unchartered waters for parents who maybe didn't grow up like this or, you know, talking about their feelings or maybe feel fearful themselves, fearful of not being able to protect their child from a pandemic. We as parents have to be really cognizant of, I don't want to say deficiency, but what is holding us back from talking to our kids and having genuine conversations with them. And they don't have to be, you know, existential and all heavy and deep and, you know, hours long. It could just be a quick check-in. How you doing? And if it's not a conversation, maybe it's a piece of paper with some information or a therapist's phone number or, you know, ways to find support if it's not with you as the parent. I like to think of teenagers kind of as feral cats. They're kind of squirrely and sometimes you get them at a good time and other times it's like, ooh, okay. So I think we have to be very tempered on how we present something like this to them. And and I think another big issue that I've seen is that people are afraid to talk about death and dying and sickness. And, and I think having COVID sort of amplified that fear that yeah. people have around it. 
No one wants to talk about it, but it came very front and center for us and our children. And if we are having trouble talking about it, then we can assume that our kids are having trouble talking about it and understanding it and articulating their fear as well. So it's modeling. A lot of it's modeling too. As parents. Right. Yeah, hundred percent. I think um, that's, that's right. Is as an adult, our own fears about the future and death and, you know, illness and all of that really makes it difficult for us on, you know, how do we help our kids if we don't even right. know how to handle it. Right. Right. And, and that actually brings up a good point in that the mental health care for women and, you know, the things that, you know, how do we talk about these things and, you know, sort of work on our own selves to be better prepared, you know, for our own mental health, but then also to assist our, our children. And I think that's, you know, that's something that's very near and dear to my heart as I get older and I'm going through all these transitions myself and feeling like the we, how do I put this? And I don't want to stereotype, but I do believe as women, we kind of put ourselves last. We, we kind of take care of everyone else and we make sure everyone else's needs are met. And then we go, oh, wait a minute. I'm not sleeping. I'm not, I'm eating too much, or I'm not finding joy in the things I used to find joy in. Like, and then we're like, what is going on? And I, and I feel like, again, if we communicated with our girlfriends, with people we're close to, colleagues, to normalize what we're feeling and what we're experiencing. I think it would be so beneficial for women in general, because I do believe that oftentimes, and I know this is kind of the word of the year, but I feel, I can only speak for myself, but sometimes I feel like I'm gaslighting myself. Well, maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I shouldn't have said it like that. Maybe I shouldn't have done this or I should. And it's like, what the, what are you doing? It's always, I feel this need to be the solid one, to be the one that has it all together, do it, do everything and not have any struggles in between. And the reality is that that's just not possible. We must, as women, give ourselves grace and patience and understanding. Absolutely. A hundred percent. That's, that's it. Exactly. It's, you know, allowing ourselves that, um, you know, we make mistakes. We don't have all the answers as much as we wish we did. And sometimes think that we do, we don't, and that's okay. You know, we can get the help that we need to, you know, be better prepared and, you know, maybe get the answers that we need to help Mm -hmm. in, in, you know, whatever Mm -hmm. ways we can. So yeah, absolutely. I have a lot of passion around this right now because of, I just turned 60 and it's, it's a whole new world. You know, I'm, I went back for my PhD and I'm, I ran for city council two years ago and I'm kind of like taking it all in and, and experiencing this great time in life. And along with that comes a myriad of other issues around intimacy and managing your body and the changes that are occurring. And man, I want someone that I can sit with and go, oh my gosh, I'm having that same thing. I know what you mean. And I think when we, again, talk to our sisters, sisterhood, whatever you want to call it, and we do reach out and we work with a therapist, it's validating and it's liberating to know that we're not alone. Yeah. You know, so, so talking about that for a moment, it's kind of the unique circumstances that women go through, right? Because, you know, as we age, we, we go through menopause 
it mm-hmm. changes so much and it's mm-hmm. it's very unique right these are not mm-hmm. things that men go through per se right. they have their own things that they're going through but i mean this is this is a, a female issue right and it's yes. it's unique and so what so let's talk about that for just a minute like what kind of impact does that have for women going through those changes right i think it's profound and i think you know at the core of it I don't want to sound superficial, but I think at the core of it, as a woman, there's an appreciation for how we look or I don't, our sexuality. And I I don't want to sound old fashioned. My daughter would kill me right now, but, but still there is this feeling of, you know, how you are in the world and in your twenties and thirties, and even in forties and early fifties, I guess, I don't know. But as your body shifts, the things that were once important to you are no longer important. And it, liberating. Mm. It's like, I'm not going to swear on your podcast, but I don't give a, you know what I want. And, and I, and I think it go it, 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 it reaches to other facets of, of your life as well. Like I used to be so concerned about what other people thought of me or how they perceive me or, and I feel like the older I get, the more I'm like, you know what? I've earned the right to be as kooky as I want, as long as I'm being kind and I'm being considerate of others. But I also think like you said, the body goes through such changes that I never anticipated. And I was raised by a very, you know, I, my mother's amazing, but she wasn't, she had three kids. And when I asked her about childbirth, she's like, oh, it was so simple. I was a swimmer. I didn't have any problems at all. And I'm like, okay, what reality is this? Because I always felt like, you know, no matter what I would ask her about, it was like, it was fine. Don't worry. And I feel like that's a disservice to women when we are not sharing our experience because it can be very debilitating as you go into perimenopause, in menopause, through menopause, anxiety, depression, the hot flashes, restless nights, Mm -hmm. you know, restless legs, appetite issues. Um, you're, hair changes, your skin changes, your, it's everything. Yeah. The more we share with each other, the more prepared, I believe. Absolutely. And you're right. Like that, not speaking to what really happened. I mean, maybe it was just uncomfortable topics for her. And so she just wasn't really prepared to to answer them. But by not saying, you know, this is how it was, you weren't prepared, right? And that's that, as you said, is a kind of disservice and it's debilitating because you just aren't prepared. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so let's talk about what mental health sort of uh, diagnoses you're seeing kind of real frequently in women, you know, maybe in general or or currently. It's a great question. And I think um, right now, and especially through the pandemic, a lot of anxiety, a lot of panic attacks, um, Mm. managing panic and depression. And another thing that was really rearing its head during this time through the pandemic, and I think with women in a general sense, was um, PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Because post-traumatic stress disorder is exactly what it means. Um, You had a trauma in the past and something has triggered it, right? So you have this kind of syndrome of post-traumatic stress. And I think during the pandemic and everything that was going on, and also with women that are going through life transitions, there's a lot of PTSD. And, and PTSD is 
it's it's going to come up at every developmental stage if you don't work through it. I don't think it's ever going to be gone. It's going to be part of your legacy. And when I say you, I mean me and you and everyone. If you don't work through it, it's going to come back. And every time it comes back, it comes back stronger than before. Yeah. And I did not know that was the case, that um, if you're not addressing those things, that it comes back and it's exacerbated. I, you know, I had no idea. I mean, logically thinking about it now, I, that makes sense, right? Because it sort of builds on top of things. But yes. Yes. Um, you know, it's, that's good to know is, is, you know, how important it is to work through that so that it doesn't continue to carry forward. So, so we're, since we're talking about the pandemic, um, how did COVID kind of influence, you know, the mental health field and like what you were dealing with? Uh, I'm sure it was profound dealing with individuals yeah. during this time. It absolutely was. And the one thing I did was I kept my door open. So, you know, I do have a private practice in Campbell and I didn't, you know, a lot of people would call and ask if I was in the office and I would say, absolutely. And I made sure that between every session, I wiped down extensively and everyone was masked and we, you know, we followed protocol. People wanted to see, I'm not saying specifically me, but they wanted to see someone. They wanted to have contact with someone to share their narrative to share their journey and what was going on. And I think what really what I saw really shift with mental health was the online mental health became the thing, right? All of so many different companies started doing online therapy, whether it was through email or texting or talking on the phone, whatever that looked like, it really shifted the way people do therapy, the way we are as clinicians and shifted so many laws and regulations about how we do what we do. And I was very clear that I wanted to stay in the office and meet with clients. Um, it's still my favorite thing. I hold so much gratitude every single day for being able to have the privilege of supporting someone in their life journey, someone that I never would have met probably. And to me, that is, oh, I'm going to get emotional, but it's so profound. It's so yeah. profound. You're right. I mean, truly, you are in a, such a special position that, you know, people are sharing their most intimate secrets and and stories and life with you. So absolutely. And that you, um, you know, you do honor that and yeah. you, you, you really um, don't take that for granted in any way. And that's what makes you so amazing. And really, I think you mentioned earlier about um, being a substitute teacher at the school as well. And I think that's also why the kids love you so much because you listen to them and you're always that that year for them and there's no judgment you you honor them by listening and they trust you that just shines through it's my joy yeah so let's go ahead and talk a little bit about how we can support each other, you know, friends, family, our children in, in this mental health, you know, journey and taking care of ourselves. How can we support each other? I think it's a great question. It's so multi-layered. I think mm -hmm. first and foremost, you said this earlier, which is no judgment, unconditional, positive regard 
you know, Carl Rogers was the guru, uh, you know, when it comes to psychology and, and his feeling of this unconditional positive regard for each other, caring for each other, and this non-judgmental approach keeps the window open, right? When we know that we can be there to support each other, no matter what we say about how we're feeling, that it's going to be received and it's not going to be judged in any way. I think that is so crucial with each other, with our children. I mean, I, I've, I've had conversations with my daughter when she has, and she has said something that I'm like, wow, that's, hmm, wow, okay, I hear you. You know, even though my mind's going like, what? Um, but you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. We just keep our hearts and minds open. Yeah. And that's not always easy. No. And, and that um, not judging, because I think that, you know, we as a society judge everything mm -hmm. and it's so easy for us to just make um, flash judgments or, um, you know, why are they doing that? Why don't they do it this way? You know, mm -hmm. we have this idea of how we think it should be. Why aren't they doing it that way? And, and judgment just, I think comes to us very naturally, very easily. And that uh, battle to not be judging others right. can be a struggle. Right. right. And it can be a struggle in the simplest ways. Like I, I lost my stuff last night because my husband always takes my car key off of my ring because I have little danglies on my keychain and he hates it. And he always takes the key off. And I, last night was not the night. And I'm like this, I'm tired of this. You must stop doing this. I've been asking you for 20 plus years to not do this. And he goes, but it's ridiculous. What are you doing with all of those keychains? And I'm like, that doesn't matter. And that's not nice. And that is a judgment. And this <laughs> was so ridiculous, but it, like it, it meant something more as far as don't judge. It's just because you think it's ridiculous doesn't mean that it's ridiculous. It's your judgment. And then I, then I took off to Target. <laughs> I felt better. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, let's, let's jump over to, uh, you had mentioned before about working on your PhD and I think you mm -hmm. are now in your second year mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. what is it that you're studying specifically? Why are you, um, and why are you going back to get your PhD? What was it that prompted you to do that? Thank you for the question. I think it's a great one. And I just didn't feel that I was finished. Mm -hmm. I just didn't, there was more to learn. And I wanted ultimately be an advocate in some way, shape or form with young adults in the criminal justice system. And in the second year of my PhD now, I'm heading, heading into the dissertation part and what is really passionate for me. And because I worked with this population for over 10 years, People are getting arrested and sentenced to long, you know, prison time, especially between the ages of 21 and 26. And I'm not absolving anyone here, but I'm saying if we look at the research and the fact that the brain, we talked about this earlier, isn't fully developed, and we're trying these young or as adults, and in some states, we're trying kids 16 and over as adults, it's inappropriate. It's inhumane. 
And, I, and I'm really looking to be an advocate for having juvenile sanctions for young adults, which means rehabilitation instead of putting them in prison and they become career criminals. I'm not saying all of them do, but it sets, it sets the stage for their path in life. And I think if we can shift that as a country, state by state, and give you know the young adults the ability to rehabilitate through yeah. juvenile sanctions. So that's that's really where I'm headed right now with my PhD. And it won't be in psychology, it will be in criminal justice. And I think it's a beautiful marriage, psychology yeah. and criminal justice. I really do. That's where I'm, that's, that's my hope. And so how close are you? You said you're coming into the dissertation stage. So what does that mean exactly? I have three more classes, core classes to take. And then the dissertation is five different classes. It will just really be about my topic, how I want to study it. I just finished a class on quantitative research methods, and it was all statistics, and it was blowing my mind. And I thought, there's no way I will ever get through this class. And I did, and I got an A, and I was super proud of myself. But it's it's those, I continue to push myself, right? We continue to push ourselves and grow and learn. And so that's that's what I'm doing. That's excellent. Good on you. I love it. Really, I think that this life is growth, right? And when we continue to grow and expand our minds, we're just making the world better, right? Instead of just, you know, shutting down after we finished high school and that's it. We're not learning anymore. And, um, you know, I just had a conversation with my daughter about the percentage of people who read books after they graduate high school. And unfortunately, it's a very low percentage. Um, You know, once people graduate, high school, it's like they don't crack another book open. And, um, you know, I think that that's, it's, um, you know, there's so much to learn. There's still so much to learn. And I think that, you know, when you give yourself that space and, you know, try, it is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. And stepping out of your comfort zone, right? Not always doing status quo and what is expected, but stepping out of your comfort zone promotes amazing growth. Absolutely. Well, this has just been so wonderful, Julie. Oh, wow. It went by quickly. (laughs) I just love talking with you. And really, we could just and have sat for for hours and and chatted, and we could probably do that again right now. But I'll wrap it up by asking you this question. Is there any books that you can recommend that the listeners um, either pick up or check out at the library that you think would be beneficial? If you share with us, that would be excellent. Yeah, I mean, there were a few. I thought about two of my, like, I I call them Bibles, are um, Eckhart Tolle, which is The Power of Now, uh, which is pretty amazing because it's all about being in the present and understanding that. And I and I saw him a few months ago in Berkeley, and I must say, he, he was like a little Yoda, so profound. So that's a book that I have by my nightstand. Another one is um, Gary Zukov, which is The Seed of the Soul. And that, mm-hmm. again, is about really tapping into who you are, what you're looking for, what what you are, what you bring into relationships, what you are attracting. It's another book that I absolutely love. So there there are so many. Yeah. I, I could go on and on. Those are two that I if if anyone is interested that in in sort of looking into themselves and and being the best version of who they are. I think those two are 
quite amazing. Excellent recommendations for sure. Thank you for sharing those. And thank you again, Julie, for coming on the show. It's been so wonderful and I appreciate your time and your knowledge and sharing with us. It's just been a pleasure. Thank you again. Absolutely. And I appreciate you and thank you. And I will talk to you soon. Okay. All right. Bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Pockets of Knowledge podcast. Be sure to join us again next week for more great information designed to educate, inspire, and empower you to achieve your goals. And thanks again for listening.